0: The following is an encore presentation of The Bridge with Peter Mansbridge, originally broadcast on December 22nd.
1: Are you ready for Good Talk, the year-end edition? (music) And welcome to Friday. Welcome to Good Talk. Welcome to the year-end edition. That sounds like so important. It's really important, the year-end edition. Uh, The three of us have done many uh, year-enders before. Chantel is in uh, Montreal. Bruce is in Toronto today. I'm in Stratford, Ontario. Um, Year-enders are fun, but they kind of get predictable over over time. So we're trying to shake it up a little bit this time by having different kinds of questions than we normally do. So we'll see how that goes, and I know you'll let us know. Um, So let's get right at it. Uh, Starting with this question, I want you to imagine that you... uh, you have a minute or at the most two minutes alone with each of the three main party leaders. And you're giving them one piece of advice, just one, not a bunch, one piece of advice that they, uh, they could use to, um, to better their leadership. So, Chantal, you start us with, uh, let, let's go in the order for this question of the, uh, the parties in the House right now. So for, for Justin Trudeau, what's your one piece of advice for him?
2: Well, uh, the Prime Minister spent a lot of time during that vote marathon that uh, the Conservatives triggered in the House of Commons talking to his MPs. What Justin Trudeau really needs, he's not going to work a miracle and convince Canadians he's walking on water, but what he really needs is for his MPs to be focused on trying to win the next election uh, and to do it under his leadership. So my advice to him would be um, spend, continue to spend more time with your MPs uh, and continue to build up that team spirit. While they're doing that, they're not focused on stabbing you in the back and organizing a leadership uh, convention.
1: Uh, it's pretty well accepted that he has not had a good one-on-one relationship with the majority of his caucus. Uh, would that be correct?
2: It's an assumption. Uh, It's not a bad relationship. It's been a distant relationship. Uh, uh, And I think uh, the, you know, just his presence during that vote marathon and what it did to uh, the morale of the troops kind of shows that there is something more there that can be done.
0: Bruce, your one piece of advice for Justin Trudeau. I I think I would probably pick up on something that he started doing in the last little bit. And you and I talked about it a little bit the other day, Peter. Uh, I, I think that separate and apart from whether it's a better electoral strategy, which I happen to think that it is, I think it's important to have a conversation with Canadians as we watch events develop in the United States around Donald Trump and what conservative means to have that conversation here in Canada. And I think that you see more and more in the last few days that Justin Trudeau is talking about the rise of far-right uh, actions in the United States and what they could mean for Canada. I saw another piece today that talked about uh, another Trump presidency and what it would mean for climate action. I think that's a more productive conversation politically it, for him um, because I think it does speak to the future and what kinds of anxieties people need to hear discussed and addressed, but... Uh, but as I say, even if it wasn't a good political strategy, I think it's an important conversation to have.
1: Okay. Um, let's switch to uh, Pierre Polyev. Uh, he, um, among his different interviews this year, he talked, <laughs> he talked to, in a hard-hitting interview with the Toronto Sun, about the different pronunciations of his name. And he said, if you went by the truly French version, it's Polyevre. He said, but he's very happy with Polyev. So we really got that out of him, or squeezed that out of him in the year-end interview with the Toronto Sun.
0: Um, I feel you have thoughts about that interview that you should share as part of this, <laughs> Peter.
1: I thought there was a interesting piece in the Toronto Star today because they, uh, they obviously didn't get a year-end interview with Paul Yev, but they wanted to know where he was on a, a number of issues. And so they went through the 10 interviews he did. Most of, most of those were with local radio stations uh, in different parts of the country. And uh, it, it's a good piece um, um, uh, that's written in the Star today on, on uh, his different approaches to different uh, topics. Anyway, moving on to your piece of advice to Polyev. Let's flip it around in, in order this time. Bruce, you start on uh, what's your one piece of advice to uh, the conservative leader?
0: Well, I think the most important thing for him to do is to kind of flesh out his offer to Canadians over time by giving them a little bit more meat on the bone of the, uh, of, uh, the pitch that he's making. He, you know, he talks about solving some problems in housing. He talks about solving problems in the healthcare system. Uh, he talks about, uh, fighting inflation and bringing down the cost of living and bigger paychecks and balancing the budget. balancing the budget. And, and I think that, uh, I don't mean to minimize the effectiveness of those as political slogans. I think they're quite effective and, but they've always been uh, available. You can see in the polling that this is what people say concerns them. And so for a politician to sort of repeat that back with some kind of passion and conviction and uh, you know, good speaking style, that's not a great trick. It's a, it, it's a kind of a predictable trick and uh, then the challenge is, is is if you're this far out from an election and the focus turns to you at some point, um, there is going to be more pressure to say, well, how exactly are you going to do that? When is the budget going to be balanced? What are you going to do to balance that budget? What services are you going to cut? What taxes are you going to increase? So I think that's probably a thing that he will choose to avoid for as long as possible, but ultimately, um, the best thing that he could do is build a, uh, a strong case for policy measures to back up the slogans that he's been putting in the marketplace. And, and it's a proven political
1: winner to, to hold off on solutions as long as you can, as, a, as long as people aren't demanding to know what your solutions are. Um, it's kind of like a slide rule, the old slide rule. The closer you get to an election, the more demand there will be for solutions. But we could
0: be some time out from it. Uh, now, he, uh, I think the challenge in, in his case might be a little bit different. I think that's right as a general rule. In the past, I think this far out from an election um, means that there's more opportunity for people to sort start to focus and say, "Well, where is that?" You know, rather than just sort of lurch into an election campaign and decide you're not going to do a a policy book. That can happen, but I think especially with the Anxiety that I expect will happen in Canada around the U.S. election, I think there will be more pressure on him. And so he's probably going to have to uh, break that rule a little bit and, and put more meat on the bone.
1: All right, Chantal, your uh, one piece of advice for Pierre Polyev.
2: Yeah, and a couple of points before that. Sometimes uh, not getting a year-end interview is better than getting a year-end interview.
1: Because <laughs> you're right. not
2: wedded to having to report whatever the person said in that interview. You can actually do this very helpful uh, uh, condensé of all the other interviews. And uh, by the way, in in the La Presse interview, uh, Mr. Poiliev, to Bruce's point, Mr. Poiliev seemed to believe that it could be two years to an election. So basically he is still in the killing time mode. My advice is more uh, personal and less policy driven. As far as I can tell, this leader is not stopped and taken a real break since he has become leader. He's been on the road when he has not been on the house. And when he's been on the house, he's been on his feet. I think he should take a break, step back from the fray uh, to kind of consider where he's at a good place, but where he's going from there, because it, it is a bit of a marathon. Um, and I also, would encourage him to think that possibly uh, the average voter is not as angry as the voters who show up at these rallies. And that is going to matter at some point going forward. It's a tone issue. Uh, If if the opposition leader is even more angry than you have ever felt in your life, think of Thomas Mulcair, you may think, I'm not sure I like the notion that this angry person will be um, the leader of my country going forward. So that would be, you know, my two bits of advice.
0: You got to be careful. Can I ask Chantal uh, uh, a follow-up? Peter, is that permitted? Because it's yeah, the year I, end, I think. Maybe yeah, it's, no, a, it, it, it's. I'm forbidden. not the
2: prime minister, so but ask away. I'm I'm going through
1: the the rules of the game here, and it says that's forbidden. But I'll <laughs> oh, make an God. exception. I'll make I, an exception. Go go for the, go minutes. for the follow-up.
0: The so, um, I've been wondering as I was watching another. Uh, rage clip from trump this morning talking about how uh, the democrats were uh, pursuing this anti-christian crusade and that if he was elected he would create a special agency to fight the anti-christian movement and to prevent the uh, security services from tracking catholics and trying to uh, marginalize and other um, take other acts of prejudice against them and it just seems to me like these are coming one day after the next and that we're getting a preview of a level of, uh, of friction and division and intensity that it will make the 2016 version of Trump um, uh, seem like child's play. So the question I, is on my mind, is is it going to be incumbent at some point on Pierre Polyev to put distance between himself and Trump? Understanding that a significant number of his voter base is essentially a MAGA base, it's not everybody, it's not even probably half, but it's not ten percent. And uh, I don't know the answer to that, but I'm asking myself that question because I saw Trudeau talk about Trump in that in that context uh, in the last 24, 48 hours, and I, I can't help but think that Polyev might have to at some point too. What do you think?
2: Probably. Uh, possibly not now. The comparisons will be inevitable because the liberals are going to to use them almost on a daily basis. There is a, a point where those comparisons can go too far and they backfire. Uh, there was a lot of effort to try to paint Premier uh, Doug Ford as that person, which totally failed. So I'm... You know the the, the the these voters that you talk about they're real and they are part of the base they could go to Maxime Belny but at some point uh, you, they they have nowhere else to go so Pierre Poilier is going to have to decide whether he wants to continue to appeal to them strongly and lose votes in the process because they drive away other voters the voters that Pierre Poilier wants are voters that have not voted for the conservatives in the recent past. Uh, they are not voters who want to go to conventions where you deny climate change and you're into conspiracy theories. So that that is a choice that may loom down the road. Me, I'm thinking that the big risk for the conservatives in the lead up to the election is going to be nomination meetings. Uh, And the kinds of candidates that end up being on the ballot as the result of single-issue interest groups organizing to make sure that they place their candidates, uh, and I'm not talking about just social conservatives at this point, but some fairly extreme uh, points of views, could damage uh, this conservative party under this leader in a way that... It's not happened since uh, Preston Manning and and Stockwell, Day left the scene, uh, yeah. and, but it has damaged them in the past. Stephen Harper was very, very adamant uh, in keeping these eruptions under control because they hurt. Uh, and I think Pierre is going to have to make sure that he does that.
0: And it might be harder, right? I was watching some of the, Peter, sorry. I just, let's continue this for just one, one clip. If I can,
1: oh sure, sure. go ahead. The
0: reaction to this horrible cartoon that the Toronto Sun right. uh, ran, uh, which is, is hard to describe, but basically it it showed uh, Vladimir Zelensky picking Joe Biden's pocket, and the way in which the uh, the figure of Zelensky was described was clearly an anti-Semitic uh, trope. Um, and a lot of people were horrified by it. And the first reaction of the Sun was to, you know, in an, in an answer to a letter to editor was to kind of defend it on the basis that, you know, cartoons are exaggeration and lots of Americans feel this way, which seemed like a very odd way to defend that, uh, that cartoon. And then the sun subsequently apologized quite profusely. Uh, you know, people are left to their own devices, I think, to decide whether they think that's sincere or whether it was really a mistake or whether they just didn't like the way that people reacted to it. But what was interesting to me apropos this conversation we're having about the tensions that Pierre Polyev may have to manage is that the responses on the Sun site by Sun readers to the apology for this horrible cartoon were a pretty 50-50 mix. There were a lot of readers who were like, there was nothing to apologize for. We shouldn't send any money to Ukraine. We shouldn't back this guy. He's siphoning money and putting it into uh, hidden bank accounts. And it feels to me that we're in a time where the ability of a conservative leader to kind of tamp down those arguments at a time when they're ramping up in the United States and in other countries, um, presents a bigger challenge for Pierre Poliev than maybe Stephen Harper had. And I know Stephen Harper had a pretty big challenge with it. Okay. The only
1: point I'd make is that when you're 10, 15, 20 points down, uh, one of which is where the liberals are right now to the conservatives, you've got to look for a box where you can, you can force an, an issue and you can try to, to uh, paint the other guys in a certain way. And it seems to me there's no doubt that, uh, that Justin Trudeau is trying that now. It started with the Terry DeMonte uh, podcast interview a few days ago, uh, and it seems to be uh, cropping up. And he's getting, you know, he's, he's getting help from some of the ways that conservative supporters uh, are suggesting, like the one you just uh, you know, given us the example of with the Toronto Sun cartoon. But uh, I'm assuming there's going to be more of this, I think the point is an interesting one. You got to be careful how you play this, uh, but it could backfire. Uh, but right now, it seems to be a, a tool in the toolbox of of, of the Liberal Party, and Justin Trudeau in particular, that he's trying to do, trying to use to paint a real difference between him and uh, uh, between Liberals and Conservatives. We'll see how far it goes, uh, and we'll see whether in any way it's uh, it's successful. But that. Uh, that's still to come. Okay, next question. Um, and it's the final leader, and it's uh, uh, Jagmeet Singh. Your main piece of advice to him, and this time we start uh, with Chantal.
2: I'd say uh, be prepared to pick a lane, uh, that you cannot go into the next election talking about all of the good things that you wrestled out of this parliament from fourth place, which would be uh, true. Uh, the the anti-strike uh, breaking legislation, uh, dental care, etc., And at the same time say the liberals are terrible and they don't do, get anything uh, done. So it, it's going to be, and I think the bigger challenge for the NDP going into the next election is to find a way to present this parliament and its cooperation with the, the liberals as a reason to vote NDP uh, rather than the standard campaign, just uh, I'm going to become prime minister, and Justin Trudeau is a terrible person. You can't, you can't get both into a voter's head. So if you're the NDP, and unless you're deluded, if you think you're not likely to be in government then you want to present your pact as a building block uh, a a a way to change the way politics is done in Parliament that brings results that new Democrats want uh, and it's I think a big challenge but I don't think you can avoid it it's too um too difficult to 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 listen on one day to the NDP saying how bad the Liberals are, and the next day saying how great it is that they got this and that from this Parliament. Bruce.
0: Well, I agree, Chantal, about that. I think that the two-lane kind of idea, the idea that on on any given day, you're going to stand beside the government and say, isn't it great this thing that we're doing together? Then you sort of step into another room and you say, they wouldn't have done it without us. They're horrible. They don't have the right instincts. They don't have the right values. It feels uh, dishonest. Um, I mean, in the way that politics can sometimes be, can can stretch what is honest. Uh, So I'm not trying to pretend that there's a that there's a kind of a perfect track record anywhere on this um but i uh, you know my thought would be just a little bit uh, in another direction which is that i i think that the ndp has an instinct always to characterize uh the ideas that they're championing as a product of the fact that there's a corporate enemy or that there's a there's a kind of a conspiracy by wealthy people to take advantage of less wealthy people and and I think that comes naturally from a uh, from the historical roots of the party. Uh, that this is a this is kind of a working class kind of party that has to uh, has to use as part of its energy this idea that there's a ruling class that needs to be taken down, a corporate class that needs to be uh, punished. I find that that leads them to a way of talking that makes it hard for a lot of people who are progressive to relate to the party. You can want uh, better social programs without hating corporate Canada. You can want uh, a stronger economy without wanting a deficit that is uh, unlimited in its size. Um, So I think that the NDP at some point, if it wants to go past the range of success that it's had, has to deal with the fact that more people and, increasingly I think are pragmatic as they think about their politics and the NDP doesn't always look that pragmatic and the best example of that might be the uh, the, the amount of effort that is put into this single-payer pharmacare program which we talked about before is being not really driven by that much uh, public demand and more uh, I think a, a theory of how the society should work. Okay
1: uh, I mean for, for Jagmeet Singh I mean clearly you know the next year or two is going to determine his political future a lot of people suspect that his political future does not include yet another term as leader but who knows we'll see uh, we'll see what happens so whatever whatever lane he picks he has to be considering his own situation as well uh, okay we're going to take a quick break and come back with our first of uh, what i think are some really interesting questions we we'll, uh, well not that that first one wasn't interesting but this is different we'll do that <laughs> right after this Welcome back. You're listening to the year-end edition of uh, Good Talk. Chantel's in Montreal. Bruce is in Toronto. I'm in uh, Stratford, Ontario. You're listening on Sirius XM, Channel 167, Canada Talks, or on your favorite podcast platform, or you're watching us on our YouTube channel. Thank you. Uh, we are glad to have you with us, no, no matter which platform you are listening or watching. Okay, uh, here's, our, here's our next question. If you were the leader... Uh, We'll we'll say the Conservatives this time. If you were the leader of the Conservative Party, name one member of one of the other parties you would want to steal. So you're a Conservative leader. Who would you steal from one of the other parties if you had that possibility? Bruce, you're first.
0: Well, I'd probably look to to take somebody uh, from... uh, Either from the GTA, from the Liberals, or from the uh, from Quebec, uh, like a Francois Philippe Champagne, uh, to bolster the idea that this is a party that's uh, comfortable in Quebec, that's got some visibility in Quebec, but also somebody who's a a kind of a champion of business and a champion of the idea of uh, uh, a strong economy and and a government that is supportive of uh, of the business community rather than. Um, trying to design the economy, you know, without uh, a close relationship with business. So Francois-Philippe Champagne, in some respects, might be the kind of person who could uh, fit into a a conservative caucus. And even as I say that, I know if if he hears this, he'll be kind of horrified (laughs) by that. So it's such an awkward question, and I can't wait to hear how Chantal handles the awkwardness of that, because uh, I feel really... Like I've, I've said something <laughs> inappropriate. <as laughs> I,
2: yeah. No, it's not inappropriate, but it is uh, um, a bit of an April Fool's uh, suggestion yeah. <laughs> in the sense that um, I don't think François-Philippe Champagne is about to bring Jean Chrétien's former seat because that is where he gets elected yes. inside the conservative fold anytime yeah. soon.
0: But if you um, can wave a wand,
1: right, and just make it all yeah, happen. Yeah, that's, a, can, that's, that's yes. all we're doing here. Uh, but, uh, but you uh, you, you never know. You never know the, who was that guy who was who, who was the liberal who switched sides right after the election to so he could stay in cabinet? Who was that? Um he was from B C uh, Mr. David. Emerson, David,
2: David Emerson. David Emerson,
1: exactly. Yeah.
2: Yes, but so, that's different. Uh, you're talking now, and you're talking about the official okay. opposition. And let's be clear, this none of our suggestions are based on rumors <laughs> or any indication that this is about to happen. But if In i Disclaimers,
0: work, that's good, yes. But, but,
2: but then, having laughed at, at Bruce over Francois Philippe Champagne, I too picked a Quebec MP, although not from the same area. Um, I would pick uh, Anthony Housefather. Uh, For all kinds of reasons. One of those is that there is a large Jewish community in his writing uh, and there are other writings like that. What Bruce didn't mention about that sun uh, story yesterday was that the front page of the sun was Pierre Poirier casting himself as a better friend of Israel uh, than Justin Trudeau. Uh, But I also think Pierre Poitier would really like Antonia Housefather to join him because he happens to sit in Pierre Trudeau's former uh, seat. So there would be some bragging rights. And the Conservatives have long, long had their eye on uh, Mount Royal as the A riding or possibly the riding that they had the best shot at uh, winning. I don't think that's happening. I don't think Mr. Housefather is about to... Uh, go over to the Conservatives, but if I had to target one MP and I were Pierre Poiliev, I probably would try my luck with uh, Mr. Housefather. He might have.
1: All right, Jagmeet Singh. Um, Who would you steal if you were Jagmeet Singh, if you could, Uh, Chantal? uh,
2: he certainly could not, but if I were him, the NDP used to do well in some sections of the GTA and in the, the city of Toronto as such. It does not do well these days, nor does it do well in the suburbs. Uh, but if I were Jagmeet Singh and I could be delivered an MP, Strangely enough, because he this MP has just uh, ran for the provincial liberal leadership, I would go for Nathaniel Erskine-Smith uh, in Beaches with bind, a, a writing that the NDP has held in the past and an MP that has managed over his time in parliament, and I did not follow the leadership campaign, but over his time in parliament to build enough independence to the left of his government to be a viable NDP candidate.
0: Bruce. Yeah, I think he's the right choice, probably. I think that you want, um, you know, I think the NDP lost some strong voices, like Andrew Cash, for example, in the GTA, and uh, they've been missing that. I think that uh, I don't have the feeling that Jagmeet Singh connects with the GTA uh, NDP voter anywhere near as much as, uh, as the NDP needs a leader to connect with those voters. And I don't think you'll find uh, in the rest of the Liberal caucus, People who have as much kind of passion for the same sort of issues as uh, Erskine Smith, and I think Erskine Smith has obviously declared an interest in some other version of his political career by choosing to run for the ND, for the uh, Liberal leadership provincially. So, um, yeah, I think Chantal's got it right. Okay, um, you're Justin Trudeau.
1: Who do you steal from the other parties? Who? Which one okay, person?
2: I, you... I, I was warned, and it's true that I would probably, uh, by saying good words about this person, I would probably hurt his uh, political standing. But if I were the liberals, I'd go uh, and uh, poach Michael Jong from the Conservative Caucus. Uh, he is one of the more thoughtful MPs in that uh, caucus. He is the foreign affairs policy uh, critic in that um in that caucus and he is not being used by his leader uh to anywhere near the fullest of his capacities on the contrary the impression has been over the what i call the debacle of the conservatives over ukraine and, and their repeated votes against uh, the Ukraine Free Trade Agreement on some flimsy uh, pretext that it includes carbon pricing, uh, his voice was mute, and he has not also been heard very much of on the Israel-Emma ceasefire issue. So I think the Liberals would gain from having someone uh, that's got gravitas and also from using talents uh, to their maximum in a way that uh, Mr. Poliev does not seem to.
0: Bruce, I, I was sort of uh, thinking about this and and trying to, you know, think about in the past what have been the most successful versions of uh, poaching or bringing somebody in from the uh, from the other side, and and what is the measure of success? And I think Chantel's put her finger on one measure of success, which is are you adding people of talent with specific wisdom and with a, a, a manner that um, that will be additive uh, to your political operation. But the other is what would destabilize the other side. Um, and if we're, if we're talking about the bare knuckle version of politics, uh, bringing somebody from the other party often has, uh, as much to credit it as an idea for destabilizing the other side. And so if I'm thinking about it that way, because I think Michael Chang is a great, uh, is a great idea. If you're the liberals and you think you could bring them on board, why wouldn't you try? Um, but if you wanted to to kind of disturb the other side a little bit more, uh, two names come to mind for me, For me, both from Alberta, Shuvaloy Majumder, who recently entered Parliament uh, um, in a by-election, and Michelle Rempel-Garner. Um, there's no evidence whatsoever that uh, Shuv is interested in doing anything like that, nor Michelle Rempel-Garner, although she's carved out a bit of a role for herself as an independent voice and an independent thinker. Um, and, of course, for the Liberals, you do need uh, to be more in touch with sentiment in, in the West and in Alberta in particular. And, uh, and Shuv is a, is a very smart, capable individual. Some of the things he said recently on issues I've sort of been surprised by, but um, he's a talent to watch in that caucus for sure.
2: Of course, uh, the government that is leading in the polls does not get to poach any of these people yeah, from the winning right. team. Yeah,
0: that's, that's why this game should be on to something else. <laughs> yeah, okay, well, it,
1: if you had trouble with that one, you're really going to love this one. Uh, and, and Bruce, you get to start. And the answer be Andrew Shear, whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> if if you, here, here's the question: You're leader of one of the parties, and you. You decide you have to dump one person in your caucus. You've got to yeah, get rid of them. The answer for Pierre Polyev
0: is Andrew sheer So I'm done on that one. You're going to explain why? Yeah, I think he's been a. Uh, I think he's been a more of a weight than a lift to the Conservative Party for a number of years. I think that he. Uh, so why did Polyev give him such a, a prominent role then? Oh, I think because the nature of what Polly, uh, uh Scheer brings to the leadership race is support in a particular constituency in the party. Um, and uh, a sense maybe of continuity or something like that. But, um, you know, I think Pierre Pauli sits on top of a party that is not a settled uh, piece of work that has a bunch of different factions in it. And Andrew Scheer became leader. Remember it took 13 ballots, Um uh, because he started with a reasonable base and he kept on adding to it as other candidates dropped off, uh, but I think also his uh, his performance as House leader has been uh, surpassingly poor, uh, and and I think that he's uh, he's probably frustrated a bunch of his caucus with the way that they handled the uh, the run up to this Christmas season and the threats to have everybody stay in Ottawa until. Until Christmas, which didn't materialize, uh, and specifically also the uh, the incredible lack of form and consistency on the Canada-U.S. Uh, Ukraine uh, trade deal. Okay. Uh, so that has to sit to some degree on Pierre Poliev's desk, but also I think on Andrew Shears.
1: All right. Uh, staying with the Conservatives, then uh, who would you dump, Chantal?
2: I'm having warned about the Yahoo factor in the nomination uh, campaigns. I think I would uh, think long and hard about um, how happy I might be if uh, either Leslyn Lewis or Cheryl Gallant decided not to run uh, for different reasons. I went back to the social media feed of Leslie Lewis. Uh, who is part of the shadow cabinet, uh, for for the anti-vaccine rhetoric that uh, she put forward, including telling people that it was uh, dangerous uh, to have your kids vaccinated against COVID and doing that under the name of Dr. Leslie Lewis. She is the doctorate for sure, but she is not a medical doctor. Uh, and I thought that was quite appalling. And Cheryl Gallant probably has accumulated even more. She's been in the House of Commons for a long time. But the uh, the one of the the last best hits I found of her was how uh, Justin Trudeau and others uh, in a global conspiracy were about to uh, force to uh, have climate uh, lockdowns uh, and impose climate lockdowns on people. And I, it, uh, these are exactly the kind of MPs and the kind of candidates that Pierre Poiliev cannot afford to drag into a campaign uh, because it begs the question: What is your cabinet going to be made of? We had an example earlier this week. People say, "Well, these are not people who will necessarily be in cabinet." Well. It was interesting this week to read that the Alberta government is uh, convinced or forced its health agency to not promote vaccines, uh, to basically be quiet about their merits, to not mention influenza or COVID and, and, and telling people they should get vaccinated. And if at all possible, not to tell, just tell people vaccines exist was basically the line this is a sitting government in one of Canada's major provinces, so yes, I do pay attention to people who say, um, interestingly, conspirationist, unfounded things when they are MPs in opposition and who could end up in power and in cabinet.
1: All right, let's uh, let's do the Liberals. You're Justin Trudeau. Who are you going to? Uh, who would you like to boot from your caucus? Um, and one choice. Chantelle just violated the Uh, rules by going to two choices in the last section. But let's stick with one here. We'll never make it through. She'll be in the penalty box. I
2: I picked Cody Achain from Newfoundland for a single reason. Uh, With one interview, this uh, minister, rural development minister, undid much of the narrative that the government was desperately trying to put around its decision to carve out home oil eating uh, from the carbon tax by saying, well, if you want the same uh, measure for yourselves, uh, well, all you have to do is vote liberal. It's If that's what you think on the spur of the moment, you probably have a judgment issue. And I'm sure that there were times over the weeks that followed when Justin Tudor himself must've thought, do, did I need this on top of the rest of everything else?
0: Bruce. Well, Peter, you know, as I thought about this, of course, I couldn't narrow it down to just one until well, you told me I have to, but I yes, was thinking of one, two, or I, well, possibly. Well, why don't you think of one? Or we'll never <laughs> get through this. As many as three Ottawa area MPs, <laughs> but if I had to narrow it down to one, which you told me now well, I do, I don't know why the rules are so tough. But <laughs> we have it a time be uh, uh, He's actually the Member of Parliament for my riding. Uh, Ottawa Centre, and uh, it's not so much that I don't think he's a he's a good MP. It's that he's been um, pursuing the Ontario Liberal leadership for a good many months. Um, after he didn't succeed at that, he put out a statement talking about it's time to help rebuild the Ontario Liberal Party. It feels to me like if you're Justin Trudeau, you really need, uh, uh, especially at this point in the life of this government trailing in the polls. Uh, you can't have, you can't afford to have too many MPs holding on to writings where you can get a share of voice who don't seem necessarily committed uh, to the project going forward. And as I said, I think that's probably a little bit the case with, with more than one Ottawa MP, but you've decided that I can't mention any other names, so I won't.
2: And Ottawa Centre would be such a nice landing place for someone like Mark Carney.
0: Whoa, oh, gosh, I hadn't thought of that. Hey! <laughs> for any, uh, what a surprise! a number of people in politics <laughs> or around politics who want to run. And I think it's being occupied by somebody who doesn't seem like he's committed to that right that now. Sounds like Bruce wants to run. I mean, he's lives to that riding.
2: I thought discuss? about it
0: a bunch of years ago, and it was uh, voted down uh, unanimously <laughs> in my uh, two-person Your house. house.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, I... Um, Hey, I'm having to skip ahead. I know I'm, I'm dropping the NDP here. in, a, in a Well, I could categories. find no
2: one that uh, Mr. Singh wanted to dispose well, of. He, so can't, thank he you.
1: can't afford to get rid of anybody, even if <laughs> no. he wanted to right now. Um, okay. I, I want to skip down to. Uh, but I did spot uh, an
0: NDP MP if I was the liberals who I would bring over. And that's. Now, now he's trying to get back into an earlier. <laughs> no, 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 never mind. That's for next year's show then. <laughs> yeah,
1: okay. <laughs> uh, uh, all right. Here's your next question. Um this is a good one. Who who of the leaders has the most control over their party, uh, the party caucus? And I, I don't mean, you know, falling in line with what he wants to have done. I mean, the, 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 the leader who has the most of their caucus, who are willing to sort of follow them off the cliff if it comes to that, the most loyalty, um, the most control, who's the leader who has that?
2: No, no, but follow, follow them off the cliff uh, is different from having uh, control over a caucus or a functioning caucus. Yes, I believe most conservative MPs at this point would follow uh, Pierre Poitier off a cliff. They do once in a while, and they vote in the House of Commons. But otherwise, I picked me Singh because I think his MPs really did um, have a taste at government over the past uh, two and some years and that they have found that it made them feel better about their job than to be perpetual opposition critics. Over time, I believe the seeds of this experience uh, could stand to change the NDP, if not the party, at least those of its members who have participated uh, and also gotten uh, a taste at compromise. It wasn't necessarily easy to go and say we had a convention where our members insisted on having a PharmaCare outline by the end of the year and to navigate away from that without a peep from uh, members in caucus saying, oh, well, this is, you know, let's, let's trash this out in public. So I think by and large, there's been a huge gain of maturity um, inside that caucus. Uh, uh, and I think that reflects well on the leader. Bruce.
0: Well, you know what? I mean, I was going to have a different answer, maybe, but Chuck persuaded me of that. That was a very strong answer, and I think she's right on all the points. If you ask me to choose between the Liberals and the Conservatives, which of those two leaders has the most control? Um, you know, I think control is a tricky word there, because I, I think that the Conservative caucus and the Conservative movement is made up of a more cantankerous uh, number of groups that on any given day are a little bit more likely than what's underneath the hood of the Liberal Party to bring their grievances forward, to challenge their leader. Uh, and that's been true, that's true not necessarily in the case of Mr. Pauliev, but it's been generally true of the of the conservative movement, especially in the last 30 years. Um, and so I could look at that and say against that uh, challenge. Pierre Polyev has pretty remarkable control over his, uh, his caucus. Uh, does it mean that it endures? Um, you know, yeah, with a 10 point lead with a 14 point lead, no question. Um, I don't know how good it would be if it was only a five point lead again. Um, with Mr. Trudeau, I think there are people who are, who are wondering, uh, whether or not they can win again but also don't know what else uh, would work better and don't dislike him and have, you know, a certain amount of confidence in him and appreciate his policies. Is that control? I don't think it's control, but I think there's a uh, there's a bond there for sure. So it's a control is a hard word to use in in this context, but um, that's what I think. All right. well, well, as I we say, Chantel's answer was better than yeah, mine. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, right, right, right. Yeah. So I'll credit for that. Another
1: member of Chantel Nation He's sitting right here on the panel. Charter okay. member. Charter <laughs> member. Okay, listen, um, I've only got 10 minutes left, and so I want to uh, very quickly deal with this one, and then we'll take a break and come back for the, the final. Uh, what issue are the two main national opposition leaders, Polly Trudeau, what issue are they the weakest on? Uh, Bruce, you go first. And
0: and once again, quick answer. I'm just trying to tease you by eating up claw. Quick answer <laughs> is fiscal. <God>. <laughs> <laughs> Funny
2: yeah. He's coming so back next year. You know that. Uh, he's
0: into the holiday yeah, spirit. Yeah, already. I haven't signed the contract yet. But anyway. So yeah, Justin <laughs> Trudeau is exposed on the fiscal issues, no question about it. And I think Pierre Polyev is vulnerable on the uh, will the country be more divided? Are we going to stoke division? And uh, I think the more he works to be a unifier, uh, the better he'll do, uh, but Justin Trudeau on the fiscal side, for sure. All right, Chantal.
2: I agree, uh, fiscal uh, policy is uh, a weak, uh, weakness in the armor. It's not a great armor, and, I, and the housing issue is also a big vulnerability because he can't fix it easily. Uh, You can project a a more fiscally responsible image, possibly, between now and the election. You're not going to see houses spring out of the ground uh, like mushrooms. I still believe that Poitier is vulnerable on climate, that with every measure that he trashes, he leaves less measures for himself to put in a plan. And I'm starting to wonder whether he's weak on foreign policy. Uh, It's... He he has enough people in his caucus, including Michael Chung that we talked about earlier, to come across as a a serious uh, foreign policy leader. It doesn't usually matter in an election, but this is different. We've just had four months of parliament dominated by foreign policy issues. India, China, uh, Ukraine, Israel... Uh, and I don't think it's going to change uh, between now and 2025. So uh, foreign policy uh, courses that someone can follow that uh, would certainly um, make Pierre Poiliev's leadership to the country more appealing.
1: All right. We're going to take a last break right now. Mm-hmm. Welcome back. Final segment of Good Talk for 2023. And the final question to Chantel and Bruce. Here it is. Um, one year from now. So we're sitting here at the end of December 2024. Are all the leaders of the, of the three main parties, will they be the same then as they are today? There's your question. Keeping in mind that we'll probably replay the, this answer at this time next year. So keep, oh, and we will money. replay
2: your wager, your <laughs> collective wager that Justin Trudeau would be gone by the end of which year was that?
0: Is he still? Is he still here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I think you should go first on this question.
1: Pete. <laughs> um, no, I, you know, I'm just, I'm just the moderator. I, you know, I, I, I like to like use the kind of answer that you use, Bruce. Like I really think Chantel is right there. Okay. Let's see what Chantel says.
2: Okay. So since I, I won that wager, um, Justin Trudeau (laughs) still being around. Of your many different (laughs) versions
1: of the bet. Yeah.
2: And I'm going to answer your question being, because it now got lost in the shuffle. Or are all the leaders going to be the same a year from now? Right. And my answer is yes, but I have two asterisks. Oh, the first here, is, here we go.
1: This is how she wins the bets. They're full see, of asterisks. The
2: first is there will be a by-election in the Toronto riding of St. Paul's, a place where I lived for 20 years, so I know the writing well. It's normally a liberal writing. It has a Jewish community, but uh, that can tip the balance and it, that community did tip it, but it goes back 40 years when Joe Clark was leader and promised to move the um, Canadian embassy from uh, Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Um, if the liberals were to lose that writing, Trudeau, I don't think could survive that defeat because it would send a signal to the liberals in an outside caucus that no seat is safe If you can't keep a um, downtown, well, almost downtown, Young and Eglinton is downtown now, uh, mostly liberal riding uh, in liberal hands at this point, then you're not keeping much of anything outside of the West Island uh, of Montreal. And the other reason why we might not have the same leaders is if an election took place in 2024, and I don't think uh, that it looks like one will take place, think it's totally possible that Trudeau would be gone if he had lost it. Bruce? Yes,
0: yeah, so setting aside the election scenario, which I agree, uh, if, if there was one, the chances are um, if the Liberals lost, which I think on the basis of the numbers now you'd have to assume would would happen, uh, that Trudeau will have at least announced his departure uh, by the end of next year. But setting that aside, because I don't think the election will happen next next year, uh, I think on the balance of probabilities, all the leaders will be the same. I think that Trudeau has enough uh, support within his party and his caucus to uh, uh, to maintain a hold on the leadership. I think that the slight narrowing of the gap that was apparent in a few polls, um, whether or not people should be using those kind of movements as, a, as an important inflection point or point for consideration that's a topic for another day or many days and lots of people have opinions about it but I think it does affect the mood and I think it has affected the mood in the liberal uh, camp and so it's uh, it's given Justin Trudeau a chance to enter the new year not trailing by 19 with the only question being can he survive but heading in with a little bit of a bounce in his step uh, taking the, uh, to the fight to the other guys a little bit more on offense and I think that's that's given him more room to maneuver. But there's no question that uh, this coming year will be the year in his leadership where Justin Trudeau has faced, will have faced the most uh, questions and testing of whether or not he's the right leader. He will not have experienced anything like what next year will feel like before. Um, and uh, But I, I think in the end, uh, he'll probably be the leader at the end of next year, yes. Um, well, under
1: extreme pressure, I'm called upon to make a prediction on this one, too. And uh, I have enormous respect for both of you, as you both know. Um, I, I think um, we will know by the end of March. There's only one leader whose uh, future is up in the air, you know, barring some huge scandal on part of anybody else. Um, and, and that's uh, Justin Trudeau. I think he, we're we're witnessing the uh, the roll of the dice, if you will, on an issue right now, and trying to link uh, the conservatives to the MAGA movement and uh, Polyev to Trump. Um, I think that is a uh, you know there there's risk involved in that, but it's also quite possibly the only real. Uh, option he has at this point, point. and I think we'll know over the next couple of months whether that is in any way working to give him the space to uh, to run in the next election. If it does, he'll he's there. If it doesn't, uh, maybe a game set match for. Uh, so you didn't, didn't answer Mr. the
0: question, right? <laughs> <laughs> that was the, the, the we don't. Well, know he, he, didn't, he didn't. Uh, I'm covered. I'm stuff. covered we all the way do around. This next there. year. <laughs> Dude,
1: that I, sucks, I, man. I, I'm covered. I'm you know, if he goes, I was right. If he doesn't go, I was right. So like what? I can't complain. Um we have uh 30 <laughs> seconds left. Politician of the year in Canada, who was it?
2: oh Well, uh, it was, you know, by no contest. Uh, I call it l'année poilievre, the poilievre year. With my question mark, uh, is it good enough to be prime minister in the polls in 2023 uh, to be that person in 2025?
0: Okay, Bruce. Well, I don't like these questions, the politician of the year, because it implies that they're. They're to be uh, lauded. And I think that if the, yeah, so the newsmaker of the year version of that question, yes, definitely Polyev. But I'm not going to, you know, use your. He just can't. (laughs) can't. If Polyev
2: sweeps the country in two years, Bruce is going to get laryngitis.
0: (laughs) I will. I definitely will. uh, But no, I just, I think that if it's newsmaker, uh, if that's the interpretation, then no question. Yes. Okay listen thank you to best forever. politician i don't know it's yeah. not where i'm coming
1: from well i didn't say you best, do politician. best politician. politician because you don't year.
2: want to be in their social media feed as having said that
1: fair that's <laughs> that's true um okay listen uh, the two of you it's been another uh, great year of your analysis and commentary and i'm looking forward to another one uh, coming up have a great uh, have a great holiday season and uh, and you, you have fans uh, coast to coast to coast. There's no doubt about it. Good Talk is the most successful um, uh, podcast that we do here on the bridge. And it is uh, continues to be uh, the number one rated political podcast uh, in the country. So that's uh, good for you guys. Um, all right. I'm Peter Mansbridge. Thanks for listening. Have a great holiday season. Talk to you in the new year.
0: Happy holidays, you guys. Yeah, you too. You've been listening to an encore presentation of The Bridge with Peter Mansbridge, originally broadcast on December 22nd.